I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. I am McLovin. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello and welcome to the Glacé Film Club. And yes, very exciting. I'm excited. I'm sure Callum's very excited as well. It's the Glacé Film Club Christmas special. You don't think we'd let Christmas pass by without watching a Christmas film and having a chat about it. And this one is an absolute Christmas classic. But before we give you a little tease of that, I'm going to introduce Callum, the regular, the guest, the man of the moment, the guy who knows about the films. He's actually becoming a minor celebrity in the local area now for his podcasting prowess. Callum, how are you doing? And are you excited for the Christmas special? Of course I'm excited for the Christmas special. Like, when when we when we proposed that we were going to do a Christmas special, I was like, ah, let's get in the festive mood. Um, yes, I am very, very feeling quite festive, actually. Um, you know, the, the tinsel is, is up around in shops everywhere. It's quite nice. Have you got any um, of your Christmas decor up in uh, your place? We've still got last year's Christmas decorations <laughs> up, if I'm honest. So, uh, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, we had, uh, like um, Alex's uh, mum made him a really nice uh, homemade tree um, with tinsel and decorations on, and it's just been hung on the bookcase. Fantastic. We just haven't taken it down, Fantastic. basically. Well, that's so, great. Um, so now it's obviously looking like you're really festive, and you've hit the mark for this year. So that's probably the way to do it, isn't it? Just leave it up all year round. Well, indeed, exactly. Um, you know, the sort of the yeah. The, the the tired look I think emphasis is, is is quite good as well. Does, it adds characters, I think. Exactly. I mean, Christmas is multifaceted. There's many layers to the joy of Christmas, and that's the beauty of this film as well. It explores all those layers. So let's tell you what the film is that we're going to chat about today. It is, of course, the absolute timeless Christmas classic. It's a Wonderful Life. Callum had never seen this before. I'd watched it once before a few years ago in a nice little art house cinema in Chester. What an experience that is. If you get the chance to go and watch a Christmas film in a cinema at Christmas, wow, that was magical. I mean, I went to the matinee, so there was a big age gap between me and the other participants. But I think that added to the, the Christmas warmth to it as well. So I'm not saying definitely go to a matinee, but if you can, there's a lot more Christmas vibe there. But it's a wonderful life, 1946. It's an old film. It's a black and white film, but it never loses any of its charm, even today in 2020. And I'd forgotten as well how much Christmas joy it held and looking back on it you think oh okay yeah it's an old film is it going to give you that emotion oh it gives you that emotion right to the end and we'll dive into that Callum and explore it but quick overview I'll give that to those people who have been living under a rock all their life and haven't managed to watch It's a Wonderful Life it's um, set in America um, travels through the decades initially in the 1920s but then goes through to the post-war years in America the Bailey family own what might be described now as a, a cooperative banker a friendly society a mutual society where they're helping out people in the local town buy houses by giving them loans at very low rates they all chip the money in and um, they're able to buy houses that's important part of the plot because Potter the character of Potter he owns all the rest of the places in town he's this real real Scrooge I think there's a lot of nods to a Christmas Carol in there he's a very Scrooge character 
hates everyone else, just wants to make his money, an old miser. But this, the um, the bank that they run, the Bailey family, are the one ray of hope against that in the town. So as the years go on, it starts off with George Bailey, the main character, as he's young and he's off to go to university and he's got all these visions of the world. He's going to travel, he's going to become an architect, architects he's going to build skyscrapers and towns this is his vision of the world he wants to get out of the small town and live and travel but as it goes on he then has to take over from his dad at the bank even though he doesn't want to and then every step he has to jump in and help the people of the town even though he goes to get married and he's going to travel then but then the bank collapses and he has to step in it's one thing after another and by the end of it he is running this bank with the last remaining fight against what is essentially the establishment of Potter in it. So as you get on in the film, he becomes more and more disillusioned with the town that he lives in, and he has a bit of a breakdown, and then that's the kind of pinnacle of the film. This is where it takes a really weird twist. For seeing it for the first time, I didn't expect it to go in this direction, but then an angel comes down from, his guardian angel comes down from heaven and shows him what life would be like if he didn't exist. So he's given this uh, experience where he gets to go around town, nobody knows him, and of course, everything is worse off because George Bailey was never born. So he has this epiphany, and then, of course, goes back and lives his life after that, with full of love and Christmas joy, because he's seen that he is worthy and everybody loves him. Hopefully that's a nice little overview. It's a wonderful life. It's a joyous film. And there's a great scene in Friends. I don't know if you've seen this film where Phoebe's told to watch It's a Wonderful Life after she's a bit depressed. And then she brings the video back to Monica and says, oh, I only watched half of it. And it's not a wonderful life. It's a crappy life. And if you didn't think it could suck anymore, it only gets worse. And then she lists all the bad things that happen in it. And you're like, oh, actually, yeah, it's quite depressing in many parts of the film, especially that he's on the brink of committing suicide at one point. You're like, okay, it gets quite dark for a Christmas <laughs> film. What well, is one of the most joyous Christmas films of all time? It goes to places, but maybe that's what makes it so beautiful. It does go to those places, but still brings you back from the brink and gives you all that Christmas joy at the end of it. So Callum first watching of this what was your instinctive feel about it's a wonderful life and everything it has to offer well i think i mean yeah i mean the word the word brink i think <laughs> you've, summed, you've summed it up quite nicely there it's the you know the, the connotations of christmas um it's all supposed to be perfect it's all supposed to be this uh white snowy wonderland um and actually the film itself grapples with the George Bailey, who's basically trying to avoid becoming bankrupt. That's that's the majority of what the film is. It's it's him trying to survive and not necessarily um, bow down to the um, the businessman of uh, Potter. I mean, for me, the the film itself, I just found it really, really heartwarming, but also really, really pragmatic as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's I, a good way. To it was it. it was just a really it was just like you know a guy who has high lofty ambitions to leave his hometown explore his mind travel europe travel the world but then through no sort of fault of his own just through pure circumstance ends up being trapped in his hometown trying to make a life for himself and i think there's nothing grandiose about it the film itself most christmas films kind tend to have a sort of heightened reality to them almost 
trying to imply that everything is perfect, yeah. almost um, untouchable in a way, that life is perfect, life is beautiful. And actually what a wonderful life does is that it completely shatters that and actually says put, puts the question on the table, well, life isn't necessarily um, that exciting, but there's beauty to be found in the simplicity of life, i.e. marrying someone you love, having children and being thankful for friends, just having people to support you. I mean, obviously we're going to talk about it in a bit more detail, but the the ending of the film is is brilliant in, in hammering that point home with the book um, when Clarence, his, his guardian angel, comes down. Um, he says something along the lines of, um, remember no person or, or no man is a failure um, if they have friends. Um, and I think that's such a lovely sentiment to, to, con- to, to sort of to end with. But I mean, again... For me, I it's kind of been a running theme that we've been talking about over the past couple of reviews, really, like how classic American literature informs the making of films. Like when we did the Peanut Butter Falcon the other week, it was all about um, sort of how does the 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 type of road movie, like looking at Mark Twain in particular, and you know the adventures of Tom Sawyer in this particular film play a really big role in um, helping illustrate the the wider themes of what it means to be an American, I suppose. Um, but I'll talk about that a bit later when we get on to some of the more deeper themes. I don't want to go too too uh, dense too quickly. That's all right. Um, I mean, you've never let it stop you in the past, so I wouldn't... I wouldn't well, well, in that case, I'll, I'll, I'll carry on then. Uh, so basically, I mean, I did a bit of research about Tom Sawyer because I've never actually read the adventures of tom sawyer but um apparently well not apparently it is according to wikipedia it's about a young boy growing up in the 1840s um who becomes really bored at school and then he goes away with his friend to become a pirate in inverted commas um and i was reading that i was thinking oh this is basically george's ambitions like yeah he's bored wants to sort of experience something quite heightened or wants to experience something exciting but then is unable to because of the situation that he's in um, and then it, it got kind of got me thinking about how, like, films are kind of... It's that sort of fusion between, like, I suppose, a, a classic American literature and using the themes from that classic literature is almost creating a visual subtext within the films themselves. Like, you know, you've got quite a romantic depiction of, like, emotion on the screen and there's quite a romantic depiction of emotion within classic literature and i suppose for me what the film did was that it, it situates um films within the same realm as the classic literature um and then that, that film has become part of the american consciousness almost yeah. like it's a wonderful life is it, it's considered one of the greatest films of all time it had one of the you know james stewart a classic hollywood american actor like you know people feel like they can belong to like this sort of american consciousness and you know it's a further it's a further evocation of like what the ideals of what Tom the Adventures of Tom Sawyer was trying to do as well. Like, you know, what does it mean to be an American? Well, in the Adventures of Tom Sawyer, it's all about hard work, it's about adventure, it's about dreams. Whereas in It's a Wonderful Life, it's about all those things, except it's also about God, marriage, country. Like, there's so many different there's so many like conservative themes running through it in the sense of what does it mean to be an American? Like hard work this sense of adventure, also a sense of innocence as well. Um, the idea of dreaming, the American dream in particular, like a, a fanatic belief in, in, in religion, in God, in Christianity in particular, and then marriage, like continu- continuation of family values almost. Like, 
for me, like that fusion of literature and filmmaking, I think is something that's becoming really has become a staple of American filmmaking in the sense that films are now merged with classic American literature because mm-hmm. they want the film to be heightened to that same um, sort of uh, romanticized or that same that same sort of like um, emotion as what an, an American novel. Yeah. Has done in the past, I suppose. Um, that was a very long-winded and possibly over-intellectualized no, way of never, saying never. that um, the film itself is very good. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. But yeah, what you said there, I found very interesting about the idea of American liter- literature and the American identity is that this film, like you said, is such a big part of American identity of film history but film history of that era very much is a part of american history but it shows that even in the 20th century and you could argue still now but even in the mid 20th century the american nation is still being formed and the identity of the american nation is formed very much by art forms like mark twain the fact that last week we discussed peanut butter falcon which was released in 2019 which at the core of it was a retelling of mark twain's huckleberry finn this film 1946 in some ways was a retelling of tom sawyer by mark twain so many years apart but still so important to the american identity because it was based on a story of an imagining of what it meant to be exploring that idea of Americanhood, but also um, the fact that that's influenced its wonderful life and has then become such a part of the identity as well, which that's what I love about looking at American history, especially through film and literature, is it's something so malleable, but something so current that is developing all the time. And I think that was an interesting point that you made there. And yeah, it was great to look at it through this film. But just going back to this film, just to look at it from a very much audience perspective, with a bit a little less analysis is that I love the character of George Bailey so much. I think he's so lovable anyway, just for every viewer. Someone, you know, this starry-eyed dreamer, but always takes a step back to help his family and friends and those in the community. Like he's a lovable character, you can't help but love him. But I felt like I identified with him so much on many levels in this idea of him having dreams bigger than his station. And obviously in the film he gets held back and he still wants to go again. He wants to go, for example, he looks after the bank for four years until his brother comes back uh, from university and then he's going to run it. But then he gets married, his brother, and gets a better job. So he goes, oh yeah, I'll carry on. And this keeps happening, this keeps happening. But he always goes back. So there's that kind of connection with the idea of dreaming but maybe being held back but wanting to go and pursue something bigger than yourself but what this film then does is because the often the conclusion to that would be and sometimes the personal conclusion for me is like oh that's frustrating life getting in the way of bigger things but the film goes okay life might get in the way of bigger things but life brings the beauty and the meaning and yes you might miss out on some of the things that you think are bigger than life itself but actually these are the important things and that's the beauty of the ending it's so well-rounded and meaningful and I think even though you might connect with the character of George Bailey in different ways maybe it's just his lovable nature or you might connect with his kind of dreamlike ambitions it still concludes in the same way for everyone that you look at that character and go you know what he is fulfilled because of the people around him. And that's what's so beautiful about this film. That's why it's so quintessentially 
Christmas or made Christmas what it is because it's saying it's about community. It's about that shared love. And I'll get onto this a bit later because I think there's so many scenes I want to point out that I love, especially with the character George Bailey. And I mean, he's not not in many scenes, um, but there's so many great uh, pieces of film in it. But what do you think of the character of George Bailey or characters in it generally? Because for me, that's what gripped me so much was the interaction with uh, George Bailey. You know, indeed, I think um, what, what George Bailey represents, I suppose, is he represents that sort of classic American hero, doesn't he, in a way? Yeah. A guy that yeah. works hard, um, is caring towards his friends, has lofty ambitions to do something more, to always do something more, but it's that sort of um, idea of, oh, you know, never be sort of necessarily content with what you have, mm-hmm. always try and strive to achieve something more. Um I mean, I did some, uh, did a bit of extra research about sort of uh, the director Frank Capra, um, and he was a uh, he was born in Italy, but he was raised in L.A. Um, and a couple of um, film historians, Ian Freer being one of them, has said that like the rags to riches story of Frank Cap- Frank Capra has become like the personification of like an American dream. And I suppose that's what George, but what that's what how Frank Capra's written George Bailey's character in a way directed it in the sense that like he is this lovable guy who is sort of caring for one another, looking after his friends, looking after his family, and he's loved universally by everybody. Mm-hmm. But he always just wants to achieve something more. And I suppose it's that idea of like constantly trying to better yourself in a way. On the one hand, it's really it's really lovely to see like particularly the caring aspects of it and when he has the community co-op bank and he's like when the crash happens in 29 1929 and he's oh no what do you need what do you need i'll support you and i'll i'll give you 18 dollars. i'll give you 20 dollars just to support you that that's you know it's a really humbling scene when that yeah when that's happening because it shows that he cares about even though he's spent the first 45 minutes of the film trying to leave bedford falls it's clear that he values what Bedford Falls has done for him or what it represents, you know, the sort of sense of origin, maybe like his family are from there. He grew up there. Like it humanizes him really. And it also sort of is a moral message, obviously saying like, you know, if you're, if you have a bit, if you have a bit of money, you should support people that don't have any money, which again, that, that that's the sort of, that, that's the positive aspect of it in a way. And I'm conscious of the fact that like, cause it is a Christmas film and it's like, it is supposed to be <laughs> really positive and uplifting. There is a sort of a, a cynicism to it all in the sense that like James Stewart was a, quite a staunch Republican. Um, oh, really? Uh, yeah. He was quite a staunch Republican and um, quite actively supported um, Ronald Reagan as well. Um so I don't know. It's just like I don't know. Like I, I always find it difficult to separate character from actors' politics, and I sh- I, I, I should <laughs> I should, but like I do struggle sometimes. Um, but yeah, I just, there's there's just quite a lot of uh, there's quite a lot of layers politically to this film. Really, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, well, one thing is adding to that is the fact that it really is a depiction of the kind of society of poor against rich, but poor yeah. triumphing um in the sense of oh well they have we have each other and we come together i mean it's a good message it definitely is a good message in the fact that at the end of the film they all chip in they have his back they cover his money mm. when they've lost the eight thousand dollars 
And then Potter, even though he's trying to drive them out of business, he's the figure of the establishment, the one trying to put them down. He, in a sense, loses that battle because the working people have got each other's back and they don't really care about the money. They've actually got each other. But I know what you mean about the the politics of it. And I don't think it necessarily is a driving, like, or it's not a political film in that sense. No, of course I think it's not, more of a no, social, no. it's more of a society film. It's like, it's got the moral message, and we know the moral message because it's got the Christmas theme of everyone loving mm. and being together. But that political edge of it is that kind of, it has got the left-wing slant of, okay, you know, if we all work together and we if we uh, chip in together then we'll be all the better for it i think the the joy of that message it avoids the political elements of it and takes the kind of more good nice hearty social bits of it it's like well it's just more enjoyable to have friends and i love the scenes in the bar there's mm. no you know he goes back to the bar when he's having his uh, epiphany moment with clarence the uh the angel and it's a different experience. But for me, just that image of him knowing every goes in, he knows the owner and the owner, he helps him get the loan on his house as well and that community spirit. And for me, that is what I love usually. Obviously, this year is very different as we can't go in the pub and pat people on the back. But I love that about Christmas is going, seeing people that you love and you know, or have known in the past and you meet up with them again after a few years. And it's like, you forget everything to do with the trials and tribulations of life and it's everyone's just forgot about that for a few weeks and you're just sharing a time together. And this film really depicts that well. And obviously the bigger message is, well, we should have that in our hearts all the time. But this film really uses Christmas as that moment to say, this is a time of the, the, the classic notion of goodwill to all men. Uh, you know, a bit antiquated, so we won't, we won't dive into the exact wording of the phrase, but the idea of we're all together, let's forget everything else about society and just share the kind of comradeship of the time. And that's what I love about the film. That's the vibe it gives me. On a very low level of analysis, just watching it fills you with warmth and it fills you with joy, and especially the ending of it. As, as I said to you, uh, before we started rolling is that I'd only watched this film once before I watched it for this chat and I couldn't remember the ending even 10 minutes out to the end but I knew there was a warmth to the ending because it just go dark and intense when he's having his epiphany and Clarence is showing him round but for the last 10-15 minutes he has his realisation and he goes back to his family and hugs them and kisses them all and then it turns out the community have pitched in and they all turn up and they chip in to give him the £8,000 that the bank lost and they just have a massive party. And it's basically like, look, money's one thing, but friends, family and loved ones are so much more than that. And for me, on a very simple level, that's the beauty and joy of this film and, that, and that's the warmth it gives me. Oh, no, I agree completely. That That is literally, I mean, that is literally the same for me as well. Like, at the end, in particular, when when he's got all his friends, everyone that he's that he's known his entire life, um, are there helping him. It is it is you can't not feel like, oh, that is just a lovely lovely image of community spirit in a way. You you can't not like it. Like, I mean, particularly there's so much symbolism running through the film as well. Like I said at the very start, that like you know, Christmas films are supposed to be. Well, at least not necessarily supposed to be. There's no law saying they have to be, but certainly a stylistic device used in a lot of Christmas films is that there's a sort of sense of heightened reality almost, like everything is is overly positive. And because the film is just so um, 
up and down for for George Bailey. Like he's just one thing after another in a way. Um, it is just so refreshing at the end to see that oh, it does actually work out for him because like you know only five minutes prior he was going to jump off a bridge. Yeah. Like you know when he was you know he was at his rope's end as as he said in the film. But like to see that sense of so much sense of relief almost it was was really really humbling. But like again, the I, I love what Frank Capra has done with the Raven as well. That's like hovering around his business mm-hmm. all the time. Like there's the Raven that's it's sat on a desk at first, and then when his uncle misplaces the money, it's then sat on his shoulder, saying, "Oh, now he, now he's, now he's basically going to be dead." I mean, the carrier bird's associated with death and like lost souls, and it's almost as if like the business and George's father's life, because that's basically what he's doing. He's living his father's yeah. life, yeah. like all that aspect of his heritage is dying just because of like society's um just because of what's happening in society whether it be the wall street crash or whether it be um potter's like insatiable appetite to name everything after himself um or whether it be um breakdown in marriage or sort of or anything like the raven is is constantly there hovering over him saying you're either going to die or your business is going to die or your heritage is going to die and that's a really really bleak set of circumstances that run through the whole film mm-hmm. but like you said at the end when everyone chips in it's just like in the face of adversity in the face of like all this economic turmoil in the face of like um uncertainty and sadness and sort of being lost or not fulfilling your dreams that you had as a kid in the face of all of that like you've got your friends that will have that will help you in your time of need and it's just such a lovely round into it isn't it definitely and i don't think it's idealistic i think like you say you know no, it's not. It's pragmatic, pragmatic isn't feel it? Yeah. To it? And it's not like that's where so many Christmas films fail because they want to portray this, you know, season of goodwill, which absolutely that's what makes a great Christmas film and a great Christmas message. But the the fact that this film goes to the dark depths that it does means that the positive message hits home so much more. It feels real. All these cheesy films that are on Hallmark Channel where it ends in everyone loving each other and it's all great well the reason that they are cheesy hallmark films is because they don't allow themselves to go to these depths don't explore these real issues but then give something that is actually a real sense of joy not a mystical sense of joy and well, yes this film it's... has got the fantasy element of it but it's not done in a weird magical way it's done in like you say a pragmatic way that's why it lands so well at the end i was trying to realize why i felt so emotional at the end but it is because it builds in such a real way that the ending just lands so perfectly well it's unobtainable right like the all the other other films that we've been talking about they're all they they sell an unobtainable sense of reality yeah whereas because a wonderful life deals with some pretty raw issues that you can guarantee a vast percentage of the audience watching the film might have experienced at some point in their life, whether it be the death of a family member, um, you know, a failed dream or economic hardship. Like it's more relatable than um, everybody loving one another throughout the whole thing. Um, Like that's why generally my go-to films at Christmas, it's not, Elf, it's Die Hard. Sure, you know what I mean? Sure. But we won't open the kind of words. <laughs> open of the, that. Exactly. Uh, as exactly. That's a whole different debate. But one thing I did want to say is that the film does age quite well. Okay, there's a few 
scenes or elements that are of the time but i think the message and this is a testament to the writing the message and the issues that it explores are still so relevant today but done in a way discussed in a way which seems like a way they would be discussed now it doesn't feel like oh look at these guys from back in the 40s weren't they so naive about the world and stuff like that it's like it lands so well and everything they discuss and exploring it it feel there's times when I'm shocked of like that was that was then that, that was so long ago because it feels so real now and I think that's why it would continue and does continue to strike a chord over the decades is because it hits so many human truths in a, a real way and that's the beauty of it it doesn't age in the terms of the writing yes it ages in the filmmaking but it doesn't age in the writing because it hits those and that's the thing with any great piece of art is if you hit a truth it's a truth forever yes things age in terms of the way they look and feel but this doesn't age in what the core that it's going at but in terms of filmmaking i just wanted to quickly a bit indulge ourselves in just a few favorite scenes because this film is iconic in some of just the clips from it two that stand out to me one of them which is the muchly quoted and referenced bit of where him and mary uh kind of had the first date so to speak after they've met at the the dance and then uh he says the line of oh you want the moon i'll get you the moon i'll throw a lasso Mm, around it right now and like that is amazing like that setting that piece of film it's just like hollywood that isn't it it looks so good and that setting um love that every time i see that there's something it strikes a chord with me but i love when they're at the graduation party and they're all doing the charleston and they open the the dance floor and then all jump in the swimming pool it feels like greece but there's something about that (laughs) which is totally different to the rest of the film the youthful energy of it the fun um it was of the time it sits in that and i think just seeing that scene is beautiful i like that for no more reason than it's a great scene it's funny it's charming it's exciting but it sets the tone for the character of george bailey and for the rest of it are there any scenes that um you particularly enjoyed i mean i know i i agree with the the lasso i'll throw a lasso around the moon that that was for me a great scene but i guess my next, my other favorite scene is when the the ravens there. I mean, I've talked about it before, but yeah. I just think it's such a. I don't know. I, when I was watching it, I was like, "Oh, okay, Frank Capra. That that that's a really really nice stylistic mm. sort of device there that you're doing." And I just, it's simple, um, but it just um, it hammers the the core of what the core of the film's really about. It's the fact that like you know, the raven rep is a symbolism associated with death and lost souls, or sort of uncertainty at least, and that's exactly what george bailey's life is filled with like sort of economic uncertainty i suppose um because he's always trying to better himself yeah. he's always jealous as well of what other people have like when he has a argument with um his kid's school teacher mm-hmm. um that that's quite that's quite symbolic of um that's a quite hard hitting scene because he really goes in on his family there doesn't he like properly yeah. it's not just like he has a bit of a breakdown like makes his children cry well, I think it's also a, a comment on like sort of that um, idea of hard work and like sort of how it how it can be quite damaging. Yes. and I think that's what the that's what the film is also talking about in the sense that like you can work as hard as you want, but sometimes life will take you down a path and it just won't take you down the path that you want it to go down, regardless of how hard you work, yeah. just because of circumstance or or you know failed dreams or whatever. And I think 
you know, the one constant in it is that the, the raven floating around is just a constant reminder that things could go bad, mm-hmm. but you've got your friends and you've got a sense of community. And as long as you have a sense of purpose, then it's enough. Yeah. Um, cause that's the thing that, um, makes him want to turn actually, you know, and another, another great scene is the real, when the realization, when he goes back to the bridge and he always said, I want my life back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great scene. And that's a really good scene. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then you start that's noticing, like, oh, yeah, his lips um, yeah. bust again. And he's going that's back a great from scene. his alternative reality to his reality. And then that's when the real joy starts to kick in. Um, yeah, I like what you said about the raven. I hadn't picked up on the imagery and the symbolism of the raven, but you'd spot on there. That's a really great bit of filmmaking, but it gives you that subtle reminder of there's something looming over, but they do manage to smash through that at the end. I just wanted to give a mention to the character of Mary, who mm. is played by Donna Reed, that the balance and the eventual rounding of the joy that you get from it wouldn't be possible without her character because she plays the wife. And especially in a 1940s film, you'd expect very archetypal roles. And yeah, they do play out in a way, but the beauty of the character of George Bailey and then also his wife Mary's that they are quite different. That's why people love them because they're different to the norm of the time. They're quite forward-thinking people. They're there helping. And he says that before they get married, it's like, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that. Yes, they mm. do follow the kind of norms of society, but they're there helping people moving into the houses and they're a bit um, uh, anti-establishment in those ways. Not in a mental, hippie, 60s way, but they play that role. And the way you get the joy at the end, and this can be forgotten, is the fact that his wife has rung round people saying, this is what's going wrong. Can you come and help George? And makes that scenario happen. She brings the joy after he's gone off on his tirade and his self-realization. Her character brings that. And not in a, and I don't think it's necessarily just done in a stereotypical oh yeah, the wife who's serving the husband doing this. Yes, there's elements of that. But I genuinely think them as a couple are quite forward-thinking, optimistic people. And that's why they have so much love in a era and a society that might have more conservative values towards social outlooks. But they break through from that and people love them for it. And that's how they get the love at the end. And I think that's fantastic. I think she's great, great performance in it. I love the chemistry between them two, but I think that uh, that character is fantastic to bring it all together. Anyway, Callum, I hate to break this to you, but we have been going for just over half an hour now, so we're going to have to wrap things up. It's It's because because we've just got so much to talk about. That's the thing. Exactly. Exactly. That's this. That's just it. Like, but we have to be. We have to think of our listeners, really. <laughs> now and again, we think about the people who are listening. This is one of those occasions. <laughs> what I'd say, Callum, let's have a roundup now. Chatted about some great areas of the f- film. We can definitely say it's a Christmas cracker. But oh god, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Christmas special. I've got to get some cheese in there. <laughs> oh god, my. But days. round round me up, Callum. <laughs> What did you like about the film? What did it give you? Give me a mark out of ten, please. I love its I love its pragmatism. I love the fact that like that all the scenarios that happened to George could happen to anybody in a way. But it's almost as it's basically what it's doing is it's creating a beauty out of quite a mundane life, really. It's almost saying that like 
George Bailey's life is no more spectacular than anybody else's, really. But there's beauty to be found in that mon- in that in that everyday activity mm-hmm. of just you know either whether it's carrying on your, a family business or whether it's um, marrying someone you love or whether it's having kids or having a dream to do something more. There's nothing necessarily um, grandiose about that. But what the film does is that it says, well, actually, this that's what matters is you know if you're happy about those small things and that they can be elevated into something so much more it doesn't have to be this sort of quintessential grand thing so i loved the simplicity of it in that way i also loved the fact that um it's littered with like american um references to american literature as well like the sort of stylistic device to sort of bring elevate the film to this to the same level as sort of classic american literature i thought that was quite interesting not necessarily just because of the way the film's made but just what it tells us about american popular culture more than anything mm-hmm. that's really interesting um and i love the um sort of the symbolism floating through it as well of the raven in particular um and also it's just it's just a lovely lovely heartwarming film as well like beyond the sort of the the crippling optimism of it in the sense that, like, oh, you can go out of business at any point. You can be drawn, be driven to suicide at any point. Um, that's that's cripplingly, it's cripplingly depressing. But at the same time, it's also really, really hopeful as well. So for me, I'm definitely giving it ten out of ten because it is just so pragmatic in its approach. It's so simple, but yet it's such a beautiful piece of filmmaking. And um, again, it's that final quote at the end: "Like no man is a failure." Um, who has friends. Um, and I just think that, that it's a story about friendship more than anything, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. It's about French friendship and family. That's what it is. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Kind of Lovely overview there and a lot of points I do agree with. For me, the beauty of the film is the way that it does really bring that uh, bit of heartwarming at the end. Not, nec- not in a soft way that a lot of Christmas films come to of recent years. Like you said, it's a very pragmatic film. But I think... The through line of the plot works so well in that very simple premise of here's what your life, well, here's what life would be like if you didn't exist. It shows how much impact you have on the world. Yes, you have dreams of big things. Yeah. Some people get a chance to go and explore the world. Some won't. But your impact on the world is so much bigger than you think. We get caught up in the little things of life and don't realize actually how much impact we have. And once George Bailey does realize that, He sees how worthwhile his life is and he has so much joy and outpouring for it. And I think that's such a beautiful sentiment executed so well. And that's what makes it so emotional and uh, joyous at the end. Also, from a filmmaking perspective, unbelievably iconic. Love watching it from that era as well. But there's so many scenes in it where you can just watch that scene as a clip and... Uh, marvel in the wonder of it so well done great to see one of the all-time great black and white films so both from a storytelling perspective and from a filmmaking perspective i think it's fantastic i'm gonna go for nine out of ten just misses out on the ten you know i find it hard to give the tens out just for me no, it's an old film, so they don't have all the other things at the disposable, the disposal. But just some of the filmmaking elements at times just felt a little bit uh, forced in areas. And you think, okay, it might dip you out of the story a bit. But one of the beautiful things they did do was just keep it simple for storytelling. And it's so much on the cusp of 10, Callum, but I just, just leaving it at that high nine. But beautiful film, one of the great Christmas films. I absolutely agree with all of the 
tables, reports, articles that put out there. Fantastic film and great performances from the actors. Callum, Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining me on the Christmas special. I look forward to chatting about some more films. Are you feeling are you feeling festive now? This episode is going to go out just a few days before Christmas. How are you feeling right now? I mean, yeah, I feel, I don't know, really. I, need to <laughs> wait. I, I didn't just, expect I just, you to get the jingle bells out. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've been watching some really, really heartwarming films of late, haven't we? Yeah. Um, and I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm reflecting a lot on cinema and what it all means. Love it. This is what we want to do in how, the Glassé film. And, and how literature and film interact with each other, how it all fits together. Which is, you know, some of the um, a challenging uh, thought to have every now and again. But it's it's good for the soul, I think. So, in obviously, I, I, don't, I never give a short a short answer to a very simple never, question. Never. But I am feeling a little bit Christmassy, um, mainly because I can eat and drink, which is great. That is always good, isn't it? Um, and is, is that <laughs> will your Christmas be comprising of a good bit of eating and drinking? Oh, absolutely, it's got to, hasn't it? Absolutely, eating, drinking. Watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy, fantastic! A few crazy like, that, that Absolutely, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, that's that, that's the plan. That's the plan. Um, merry, merry, merry Christmas to you too, Mark. Thank you, well. Callum. Thank you. Indeed. It sounds yeah. lovely. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. I'm very much looking forward to it to myself and to all the listeners. I hope you've enjoyed the uh, Glacé Film Club Christmas special. It's a wonderful life. Everybody have a fantastic Christmas. We will be back with you very, very soon for more wonderful chit chat about wonderful films but for this time that was it's a wonderful life have a great time tune in again soon thank you callum and that was the glassy film club podcast